the lie the poetry tells is constant as the truth itself without the lies and the false beliefs where State of the Theory podcast. I'm Hannah. And I'm an India. And we are your theory doctors. Welcome back. Hello. An India just asked me just before he pushed record on the microphone, have we ever done a happy episode? We haven't. We haven't. I, I argued that some of our early episodes were a bit more whimsical. Yeah, but there is so much to be angry at the world about and we like to think we are angry at the world i think once brexit became a possibility <laughs> state of the theory went straight downhill in terms of its mood yeah i think people come to us to feel a sort of affirmation that their feelings about 2016 and 2017 are legit yeah. i think that point about affirmation is going to be important for today's episode indeed indeed so in it in light of that discussion about happy episodes this episode is part two on sexual assault so last week uh you may remember we talked about uh harvey weinstein and the me too campaign and the way in which it has uh contributed to inspired directed general conversations about intersections between power, fame, celebrity, um, uh, and sexual abuse, uh, negotiation, the, the str- uh, ways to negotiate s- sexual abuse, survival strategies, responses, so on and so forth. Uh, we are carrying this on in this week's episode, but changing focus slightly uh, to the world of academia. Um, two particular events, as it were, to two instances of of things that inspired this episode one was an article that was originally published on the huffington post by uh christine fair the article then got retracted but is still available on various sources on the on the internet buzzfeed at the time of recording buzzfeed still has a version of that of the article uh, online where she goes through and lists names all the various uh, senior male academics um, I think they are not just academics but mainly academics who uh, have behaved inappropriately with her at various points throughout her career um, a couple of days after that article was first published um, uh, there appeared on Facebook uh, this this was a list that was started by someone called Raya Sarkar this person is is very open about what she's doing, so we we don't feel uh, uncomfortable about naming her. We are name name we are naming her in order to recognise the work that she's done in putting this list together, which is a list specifically of Indian academics working in universities in India, uh, and she has crowdsourced this list. So she has sent out a call to say, if you have been harassed, assaulted, abused by uh, male academics, then send me your details and I will add the name to the list. She has uh, said that she has details of the accusers and specific details of the accusations. 
Uh, she has chosen not to publicize any of that without the consent of the accuser, but she has made the list of the accused public. Uh, and this list has been shared multiple times. It has been written about uh, on various social media outlets, uh, including blogs, newspapers. Uh, uh, it has created a huge amount of debate uh, and it has in many ways exposed differences in opinion, positions, strategies within feminist movements. Yes, there's a context for this, of course. Um, a lot of Indian women academics and students and um, feminist activists have spent many, many years working within the context of Indian higher education um, to fight for and advocate for better institutional and legal protections for women. So there is, um, this isn't out of the blue, it doesn't come out of the blue, a number of our friends that we know participate actively in various forms of feminism in Indian institutions of higher education, certainly not just India, um, but this context really is about Indian universities. Yeah. But this doesn't, in a sense, this doesn't come out of the blue. So mm. for, for somebody like me who's not involved in Indian academia in any way, um, it might feel a little bit like this is like all of a sudden mm. there's this massive list of mm. all these scholars mm. that, you know, we respect and admire and credit with, you know, shifting the way that we think about ideas and making these massive contributions to knowledge. And all of a sudden this is, this is some big deal, but actually mm. there is a, um, diverse and very active, um, mm. set of feminist movements happening on Indian campuses already. Yes. So this f slots in yeah. partly because of what's happened in Hollywood with Harvey Weinstein and partly because there is an organic movement mm. in Indian universities and I feel like as the the white half of the the duo that we are mm. that I should mention that because I think that it's important for those of us who aren't embedded in Indian academia to to recognize that um just following on from that full disclosure uh as the male non-white <laughs> part of the duo I am at a remove from Indian academia as well. I've never been connected in personally myself with, with any university in India. I have lots of friends who are, and I know many of the people involved. I know some of the people who are, are working with the list, who are arguing against the importance of the list, who have mixed feelings about it. I know, certainly by reputation, many of the names on the list, though I, I don't know any of them on a, on a personal basis. And certainly for both of us, the list includes uh, uh, famous, established academics who we would otherwise feel have contributed positively to our field and to their yeah, fields. There's, there's more than one name on that list that I cite in my PhD thesis yes. multiple times. Yes. Um, and I think whatever we say about the list is has to be uh is is bound up with that fact that these are these are people whose work we use these are people whose who have built a career based on 
certain assumptions about uh, personal politics, gender, race, class, caste politics, uh, whose work is uh, has been dedicated in many cases to apparently exposing exactly the kind of lines of power that mark our society, which they are allegedly abusing, exploiting in their own personal, professional life. Yeah, that's what the list tries mm. to expose, yes. essentially. And one of the aspects of, of the list, this list in particular, as opposed to the, the former Huffington Post article, the list is, um, one of the aspects of it is that it's designed as a kind of more formal warning system for women who work in these spaces with these men, which is an interesting idea mm. um, in the sense that we have already, many of us, very informal ways of warning each other or um, discussing our experiences on a day-to-day basis. Certainly, um, you know, friends and colleagues and I, it comes up when it's mm. relevant. Mm. Often someone will have a, you know, not that often, thank goodness, mm. um, in my case. But if someone has a particular experience mm. with an individual, often someone else they know has mm. had a similar mm. experience with that same individual. Mm. And so it does come up in casual conversation um, often outside mm. of work and in mm. more social settings, and it does come up. And so there are kind of informal ways of communicating how people behave mm. and um, and drawing out patterns. Mm. Um, the, mm. This is part of our our kind of working lives as mm. women, and also our social lives as women. Yeah, I think I think that that uh, raises a really interesting point. You know, I, we we spoke in the last episode. Or you, you spoke in the last episode about this the, the informal community uh, warning system uh, that that exists. Um, I imagine, for example, that if you are a student in a in a university department and you're trying to pick a PhD supervisor. A female colleague might come. A female fellow student might come up to you and say, "Look, I wouldn't go with that guy because he's a creep." And you, at that point, you may or may not decide to follow that advice. But you wouldn't ask the 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 individual friend student who's who is giving you the warning. You wouldn't ask her to provide you with legal evidence. No, and you wouldn't say I won't believe you until yes. you make a formal complaint yes. through yes. the proper channels at the university. And I think what what is then the key is, does something change when that informal process becomes formalized on social media? In the form of a list. In like the this. form of a list like this. Because this list won't necessarily have implications for a legal process i don't think i don't think it is designed to no that's not its hmm. that's not its role so not so as we see it does it if your reputation is magnified and multiplied at an exponential level by a social media algorithm do, is that is that different 
from having the women that work with you speak about you behind your back? So there is a slightly cynical part of me, and before I say this, I should say there are many criticisms of the way the list has been put together from from people I like and respect and admire, and there's a lot of lot of it I agree with. Uh, having said that, there is also a cynical part of me that wonders at the disparity between the number of critical responses to the list that have called it trial by social media, witch hunt, hearsay, rumour, irresponsible, all of those things. And there seems to be a disparity between all of that social media comment and any public threat of litigation to do with slander or libel. In other words, it occurs to me perhaps, if you are a man named on the list and you are completely convinced that you have nothing to answer for and you are certainly in a position of privilege whereby you have access to legal assistance should you require it, you could theoretically charge the person who's produced the list with libel. And the fact that so far at least nobody has done that, nobody has chosen to do that, for me, and just speaking for me personally, does go a little bit to undermine the whole witch hunt. Yes, it's interesting. There's there's so much about the list that's, that's fascinating and distressing. Um, if, I mean, it feels close to home mm. in the sense that this is our industry that we're mm. talking about. Mm. It isn't Hollywood. We can't take that that stance, mm. you know, mm. of yeah, every, everything's horrible in Tinseltown. Mm. You know, Hollywood is this evil industry that's so mm. exploitative, mm. and mm. all the women mm. are forced to be size zero. Yeah. And you know, th- this we can't we can't take that academic perspective here when we talk about the list. No, I mean, if anything, we have to recognize that the gap between these two industries are perhaps not as wide as we'd like to think. In other words, there is a corollary that certainly I probably have not spent enough time thinking about between a Hollywood producer saying to an up-and-coming actress, sleep with me, otherwise you won't get the role, and uh, an academic either explicitly or implicitly saying, you know, do something, do something for, with, me. for me, otherwise you won't get a PhD, or you won't pass your viva, or I won't write you into. I won't write you into this grant application. I won't give you a reference. I won't. You won't get a job in this department, and on and on and on. Um, those two, the parallels between those two instances are striking. Yes, there's also something quite fascinating about academia, in particular, where a list like this works because all of these people have reputations in the way that celebrities have reputations. Your work is bound up with your personality Mm. and you trade often on your politics and your um, kind of genuine self Mm. with a capital Mm. S Mm. Mm. in in a similar way to artists Mm. um, and to actors and your where the product is your Mm. intellectual Mm. contribution Mm. and that is inextricably tied up with who you are mm-hmm. as a person. Mm-hmm. And so there is something particularly um, effective mm. about 
the list that mm. may not necessarily work for another kind of industry, mm. but does mm. for academia. Mm. Um, I mean, because we recognize the names on the list mm. and we recognize not just the people themselves, but also the ideas. And, and we tie that up with the, our experiences of reading the work and citing the work and thinking about the work. And, and also academia is a small enough world. Both of us have worked in South Asian studies for long enough that even though as of yet there isn't anyone on the list who we know as individuals, we certainly know many people who know the people on the list. Yes, and watching those people have responses to the list is, I mean, I've certainly found it emotionally taxing. Mm-hmm. Um to empathize mm. with people that I have a lot of respect for and mm. people whose work I think is important mm. and mm. should be done and people who have, you know, quite a, a, a significant impact on on students and on mm. the departments that they're in. So this is a, it's kind of an emotional topic for us in some mm. ways. Mm. Um, I think you and I come down in a similar place in our own ideas about how effective the list yeah. is um, versus, you know, its impact mm. on survivors and and victims. Mm. There's an element here, too, about the kind of the binary that's drawn between the list is sort of vigilante justice, our favorite kind of justice in the American West, and proper channels. Mm. You know, doing it the proper way through the institution. And of course, it doesn't work that way because part of the the conditions mm. that allow the list to arise mm. are because the proper channels haven't worked. Mm. They don't work. So the the list is is in some ways a methodological response to the, this issue of institutional mm. channels and going through the proper route. Yes, so it's part of the setting up of parallel alternative ways to address or ways to, um, you know, construct survival strategies that allow you to exist, you know, in a in a world where everything is stacked against you. Um, do you want to talk about the the point you made when we first started talking about the list on Facebook? You said the list would have helped if it came. Yeah, with, you really like yeah, this. Yeah, I really so like this. It's a warning it's a warning system, right? This was yes. the the original idea is yeah. that so a, you know, whether or not one of the accusers has made a formal complaint, often what's happened is if they have yeah. made a complaint, yeah. that complaint has been struck down yeah. for some yeah. for some yeah. reason. Um yeah. within the rules yeah. of the university. So the institution yeah. protects yeah. the um accusee. Mm. And the um the idea of the list is to say well you know there's there's no formal pronouncement that this accused mm. person is guilty therefore in order to protect mm. other women because the system won't protect them i've i've named them mm. but the informal channels mm. right and the informal like like notification mm. network that mm. we use, mm. like the the signals, mm. the hand mm. signals that we use to indicate mm. if someone is creepy, comes with some context. So if a list like this, which is a kind of more formal mm. notification mm. system, appears, my thinking is kind of, you know, well, 
I want to know where this person sits, you know, in case you, and if it were kind of my community, it would, my thinking is, is, is this someone that I should be aware of as a little handsy mm. or is this someone that I don't want to be alone in a room with? Mm. Because that's how we informally mm. talk to each other about mm. it. Mm. Mm. Is this someone who's scary? Mm. Often not. Most of the time, that's the kind of extreme case. But, you know, is this someone that I that I need to limit my interactions with mm. in these circumstances? Mm. Do I not go to the pub with this person? Mm. Because after a pint or two, mm. they start to ask really personal questions. Yeah. Is that, you know, what kind mm. of situation do I need? And so yeah. do I need a little sliding scale? Yeah. You know, I've, that was my kind of, yeah. my thinking. If that's the, the purpose mm. of the list, like I... It, that kind of information mm. is helpful. But of course, you didn't have that response at no. all. No. That wasn't how no. you read the list at all. Yeah. yeah. I mean, I, I guess this is the really interesting point that seems to me a lot of the evidence and due process demand that, that, that the list has generated seems to miss the point, which is the the response on social media has largely been the list is either equivalent to or a res- or a replacement of a formal charge sheet. Yeah. And I don't think either of us think that is the case. I think the list is much closer to uh, two women who are colleagues going to the pub for a drink and saying, you know, that Professor X, be careful. Yeah. And obviously something, it is not the same as that, Something does change when you put a list of names in in the public domain, but we think it is much closer to the to that than it is to the charge sheet. Yeah, I, f- I mean, I find there's th- because the other part of me when I read the list is, I think more is closer to what mm, certain men think when mm. they read the list, mm. which is, how do I know? That any of this, because, you know, I'm academically minded, evidence evidence matters mm, mm, for me when mm, I make mm, any sort of argument. How do I know mm, that this is, and informally at the pub, when someone mm, tells me a, a kind of anecdote, that counts as evidence in, mm, in a way that the list doesn't, mm, because it is a fundamentally different documentation mm, of mm, an interaction. Yes, yes. The venue is different. The, the mode of dissemination of the information is different. Mm. The context in which it's being received and spoken about is different. And the medium mm. is fundamentally different. Mm. So you have the translation becomes a little bit uneven, mm. it, even though the intention mm. is the same. Yeah. But then you have, which you were talking about in our previous episode, about what it does to men. Mm. Because when men read this list... Or when men know that such a list exists, mm. the response is very different mm. from reading an article about mm-hmm. Harvey Weinstein's fall from mm-hmm. grace. Mm-hmm. It's a complete, you have a completely mm. different response. Yeah, in, in other words, it is much more likely. I'll rephrase that. It is easier for me to imagine my name on a list like that than it is for me to put myself in the position of Harvey Weinstein. 
and obviously I like to think that I wouldn't end up in a list like that. Obviously I like to think that I'm quote-unquote a better person than that. But it is because it is so much closer to our world. It is much easier to... It is. It becomes much more personal. It becomes much more immediate. Sort of not unlike the way the the difference between knowing the statistics about sexual abuse across the world and looking at the proportion of your female friends on Facebook who are writing statuses with the hashtag Me Too. It it sort of becomes something that becomes much harder to compartmentalize away as something that isn't about me. This could be about me. This this is about the world that I inhabit. And part of this is on me, whether or not I have ever been inappropriate as an individual man. Yes. There's two... I mean, the. I guess we'll come to the issue of consent yeah. in a couple of minutes, which is, I think, the focus for us in terms of a kind of bigger picture abstract mm. 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 analysis that we make. But there's something here as well about how um because you you found it quite striking that one of the official responses made to the list that is a criticism Mm. um, and a counter to the list was put together by a group um one of the members of whom is on the list uh not quite it was a a response signed by a number of uh very uh, f- sort of famous, uh, renowned, serious feminist activists with mm-hmm. years of feminist activism, good activism behind them, have, have wrote this list, wrote this response, and signed it. It was none of them were named on the list, uh, but the list was published by uh, an online magazine called Kafla, okay. which has its own long. Uh, history of doing good activist journalism op-ed pieces. Yeah. But Kafla is the the collective that runs the magazine. One at least one person on that collective was named on the list. Okay. And what's what's interesting about this is you know does that undermine the fact that the the magazine publishes this response? Mm. Does that negate the response itself mm. or the the academics? and activists who've signed it. And I don't think I don't think we can remove ourselves to such an extent where someone or a group, an institution, would be able to make a response that is entirely removed from this because yes. it is so embedded. Yes. And at the kind of personal level yes. where we're talking about individuals engaging with other individuals and we're not talking at the kind of institutional structural level, there is no way that we can remove ourselves to such an extent because it is everywhere. Mm, mm. And individuals who behave this way mm. are everywhere. Yes. And they're part of our communities mm. in a kind of informal way and a, in a sort of fluid social way. And, and also the... And this this is... This different... Like, we are you and me are at different positions on this spectrum. There are people further higher up than us and people who are lower than us as well. But to different extent, different degrees, both of us possess or are implicated in the kind of privilege 
that allows these individuals to commit these acts. Yeah. Right? We are part of this world. We are we have institutional privilege behind us. We have um the the kind of intellectual privilege that comes from having a masters and a phd and teaching students and and all of those things but perhaps uh, our privilege puts us in a in a different position compared to other people but equally we are not the lowest on the rung of the ladder either so to 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 a greater or lesser extent we are we are implicated yeah in in the way that you know Colin Firth and Quentin Tarantino yes are implicated. We are implicated in the hierarchy that allows these acts to happen. We can't absolve ourselves that easily. Yeah, and, and this is part of the kind of emotional challenge of, mm. of dealing mm. with something like the list because we are both, um, and certainly as a woman, I am both complicit in the system and have also been subject to harassment mm. in the workplace. Mm-hmm. Um and have seen others who are subject to harassment in a similar way. Mm. And um, it's certainly not something that happens regularly in my current workplace, mm. which mm. I'm very grateful for. Mm. But it's, you know, it's not foreign to us. And no. so when we see friends working through their kind of social world and people who mean something to them appear on a list like this. It's, it's quite, um, there's a sort of internal dilemma that happens. And Mm. I think we've, we've all found it a little bit difficult to Mm. deal with Mm. theoretically Mm. because it's not easily explained by theory. Yeah, and and it it's it. I think for me, in 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 terms of me going back through my life, my experiences, the way I have interacted with the world and those around me, the the central problem that I'm left with, in terms of trying to learn from all this and move forward in a way that is uh, more constructive and more inclusive. Uh, and and being a better ally, the thing that I'm left with is how do you judge the viability or otherwise of consent? How do you judge the tenability or otherwise of consent? PhD supervisor X has a is in a what I would call inappropriate but consensual relationship with PhD student Y. As someone who knows of this but has never seen anything that I would necessarily call inappropriate indirectly as it were and as someone who happens to be a cis straight male ally at what point do I decide for myself that that particular student is not in a tenable position to give consent and therefore her consent is somehow invalid and that it is up to me to report this to somebody. Because both in terms of institutional position and in terms of gender identity, I'm in in a position of power perhaps just as much as the PhD supervisor is. So... 
how do I be a good ally, be a source of support to that PhD student, recognize her own agency, and recognize the inappropriateness of the relationship. Especially given the context where a lot of a lot of the accusers who've put together the list mm. have said um, that they've either been through an institutional process yes. or they've been discouraged from going through that process yes. because going through the proper channels mm. is traumatic mm. and painful and causes a different kind of victimization. Mm. Um, this is hugely relevant for discussions in the United States around campus sexual assault. I mm. mean, this is a, a huge piece of the discourse around yeah. young women saying mm. that they don't report yeah. um, and young men saying that they don't report mm. um, campus sexual assault because the process that will be required mm. to bring the accused to justice is too painful. Mm. Um, and that, you know, will, will you cause harm to a student if you make that kind of complaint? Um, let alone, I mean, you know, leaving aside the implications that it might have for your own career, mm -hmm. because of course, in an ideal world, you wouldn't care about those things. Mm -hmm. Does it do more harm to the student to force them into mm. an institutional battle or is what's happening it, of such great harm that it it outweighs that it it also it it also is bound up with the fact that I'll I'll, I'll use a slightly different analogy but I think it applies to this one as well there've been moments when let's say I'm waiting for a bus at a bus stop and a woman who's there by herself is waiting for a bus as well. Another man comes up and starts talking to her in a way that isn't necessarily overtly aggressive. But my reading of the situation is she would rather be left alone. And what do you do then? Yeah, the flip side of this yes. is as a woman on the tube, yes. this has happened to me more than yeah. once, there's a guy who's really bothering me. Yeah really really yeah. bothering me and everyone around me because yeah. it's a six thirty-seven p.m yeah. train yeah everyone around me just ignores it yeah that happens yeah all the time yeah. and it's and you know I, I don't want to harp on the difficulties of being a man in that situation for obvious reasons but it isn't clear to me how i should act in other words going up to that situation and starting to talk to the woman when she might not want that. Another man coming in, talking to her, isn't necessarily something she will perceive as helpful. Um, it has the liability to escalate the situation if the man feels I'm cramping his style, within quite scare quotes. Um... Do you see what I mean? Like yeah. all of, all of these options are not necessarily risk free in terms of making the situation worse for the woman. I would say, to be honest, it, and this goes to the 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 in this thought experiment, mm. a key observation that you made, which is that the woman clearly doesn't want to be spoken to. Mm. In that case, 
I would always mm. welcome mm. the intervention of mm. someone. Always. Mm. Uh, it's, I would never not welcome the mm. intervention of someone. And I think from what I've read mm. in, in kind of recent think pieces and mm. Me Too mm. anecdotes mm. and things like a lot of my friends agree mm. that mm. if there mm. is a clear, if, if the person clearly doesn't, doesn't like the mm. interaction, mm. they wouldn't necessarily say no mm. to somebody else stepping in. But mm. your kind of concern and mm. your sort of, your um, feelings of confusion about it mm. are ref reflect mm. other friends of mine, mm. other guys that I know also say the same thing that they don't want because it, it, it requires them to enter the woman's space as well. It, it does in a way that a woman who's feeling vulnerable anyway might see as a further threat. Um, and also the, along with the PhD student, PhD supervisor, inappropriate relationship, it's a spectrum, right? They are, they are, Moments when it is very, very clear that the woman is feeling distressed or threatened or, or scared or just generally unhappy and would rather the man go away. And it is perhaps slightly easier to know how to intervene in a situation like that. But it, there's also situations where it genuinely isn't clear whether... or. To what extent the woman feels, I would rather be left alone. Yeah, and do you know better than her? Exactly, and that's precisely the problem. At what point, as a straight cis male ally, who is thinking about intervening, whether it's a woman being talked to by a man on, the, on at a bus stop, or whether it's a PhD super, supervisor in an inappropriate relation, relationship with a PhD student, at what point does your intervention mean you know better than her and that I, that's that's very well put that's precisely the issue yeah and practically speaking how yes. can you go about finding out exactly you know it's in an ideal world if you have a good relationship independently good relationship with the phd student as a colleague you send an email going do you want to meet for a coffee that isn't out of although never you meet for a coffee you have a chat you go are you okay i'm not comfortable with this how do you feel Woman says, no, it's fine, I'm, I, I'm genuinely in a good place, great. Woman says, this isn't good, I know, but I don't want you to do anything about it. Okay, at least that's her decision. Woman says, I'm struggling, can you help? Again, that clears, clears things out. But, but that's a thought that's, experiment. And that's, exactly. a sort of, and that's a sort of thought experiment that um, traditionalists and conservatives yeah. go to in order to exactly. retain the status quo. Exactly. It's that kind of thing where you should have, you know, you should have, you should have had a conversation. You should have yes. been honest. You should have, yes. you should have said something. You should have made your name known. You hmm. should have gone, hmm. gone through the, the system that's in place. And, and, and there's in that conservative traditionalist argument, there is no right way of doing that. Right. However you do it. Well, yeah. However the woman uses the system. She'll be using it in a bad way because yeah. there's always room to criticize her. Yeah, and there's always there's always a a perfect mm. ideal way of doing mm -hmm. it after the fact. Mm. Which which got, comes to some of the criticism, not all of it by any means, but some of the criticism of the list as well, which is it is it it is uh, worryingly similar in my mind 
to a lot of the conservative criticism that is used precisely to shut down female dissidents and dissent. Right? The, the idea is that there is a quote-unquote due process that you should follow. And unless, unless you're following the due process, it is somehow not legitimate. And the due process is there to treat everyone equally, and if you just followed that, then you would have been fine. And this is vigilante justice instead of true justice. Yeah. There's no such thing. Yeah. Well, this has been a happy episode. Um, I will say this though, and I think, and this is, it's not a happy thought at all, but it is one way in which both the Me Too campaign and the list has forced me to examine things I should have been examining a long, long time ago. And... Yes, in a more specific targeted way. In a more specific targeted, um, immediately practically applicable. What what are these situations? What are these moments? You know, knowing that a friend couple where the relationship is bordering on the abusive, did I stand up and do something? Did I make it clear to the to the survivor victim in that relationship that? I was there for them if they needed anything. Could I have done it better? How would I do it differently if it was happening now? Um, how do I act around my students? How do I act around my PhD students, my undergraduate students? Do I create? Do do I do my best to create a space where they all feel safe? And also, do I? make sure they know of the system structures that are, however imperfect, that that are in place so that they know where they can go if they are uncomfortable by something I say or do. Um, a lot of these things I did before anyway. A lot of these things I'm thinking more and more about how to do better. And if it achieves nothing else, that's good enough for me yeah not good enough i'll rephrase that that's important enough yeah and the the, um i think what's interesting about this particular few weeks is survivors voices have have taken on a different kind of power Hmm. um still certainly not enough but there is a transition Hmm. um in terms of of the weight and legitimacy given to survivors' voices and experiences that is um, different. There's a, a, a different tone to it um, that feels... It, it, it feels different to me. Certainly um, sort of shaming rhetoric and shaming discourse is less it's tolerated a little bit less Mm. um in this context Mm. which is interesting i find i'm I'm not sure if it will last i'm not sure if if that's me being idealistic about it but i do find it interesting but of course as a woman i have a i have i have a different response to you which is that "Eh, we're talking about this again Mm. Yeah. And what's interesting is is that the conflict in 
in your response to it, which is, we're talking about this again, but also we're talking about this in a way that seems different. Yeah. Um, and I guess the success or otherwise of these campaigns will be measured by how far the far we go along that that spectrum, as it were, between talking about this again and again and again, but talking about this in new, productive, hopefully constructive ways that make the world a better place. And that deem lists like this one unnecessary. Yeah. That's a positive note to end on. <laughs> yes. Um, thanks a lot for listening. Um, if you have any questions, comments, get in touch. Tweet at us. Comment on our Facebook pages. Um, and see you next time. Bye. Bye. We hope you enjoyed this episode. I have been Hannah Fitzpatrick. And I have been Anindya Vichardry. You can contact me on Twitter at Dr. H. Fitz. And me at Dr. Anindya R. Our music was provided by the Agrarians, and this has been the State of the Theory. Thank you. Where would we be?